Hillbilly Horror Stories presents Eerie Encounters. In tonight's episode, what you will hear are the responses based on the question, What is the scariest true story that you know? Trust me when I say the answers that I got were not what I was expecting, as you will soon hear. I grew up in a funeral home. I helped out in the office. When I was about 15, we got a call from a man whose wife and infant baby had been murdered in cold blood. There were very few clues, and it made headlines. Cops set up surveillance at the viewing at the funeral home. It was heartbreaking as the mother was holding the baby in her arms in the casket. I was asked to periodically take the flower cards to the husband and ask if he recognized any of the names. I then photocopied them and put them back. I did it because I was a kid. People knew me, and I was unobtrusive. I talked to the husband quite a bit over this time. He seemed devastated and shaken. The cops told me that they had an eyewitness to someone leaving the house the day of the murder. The witness was a three-year-old girl. She recognized the man leaving. It was the husband's best friend. It turns out that the friend and the husband had made a pact to kill each other's families and run off with their secretaries. The little girl identified the friend, and I guess one of them cracked. They both went to jail on multiple accounts, all on the testimony of a three-year-old. I still can't believe it to this day that that man stood right beside me multiple times and I had no clue. I don't think I ever looked at life the same way after that. That story was sent anonymously. This is my personal story. When I was 10, I regularly attended a choir club for kids. One day, I was picked up by my dad to drive me home. I was confused about it as it was always my mom who usually picked me up. But I didn't think much about it until about halfway through the drive. My dad began to mumble something about how sorry he was and how I would never see him again. More than a little frightened and confused at this point, I kept asking what he meant, but he wouldn't say, until we were home. But he did not leave the car, and he instead urged me to get out. Finally, he told me that I would not see him again because he will be dead very soon for what he did, and the police would answer me. After he practically kicked me out of the car, I rushed home, but no one was there. But I found the door open and a puddle of blood on the floor. The police was nearby and explained what had happened. My dad was obsessively jealous and he found a pack of old condoms in the cupboard. So he drew the conclusion that my mom must have cheated on him. Never mind the fact that we had only recently moved into this apartment and they could have been left by the previous tenants or the fact that he controlled my mom's every step and never let her go anywhere alone. The police took me to the hospital where my mom, luckily alive, was being treated. My dad had smashed her skull in with a full wine bottle. 
The only reason she even survived was because my little brother, who was seven at the time, intervened. If it weren't for him, my dad would have killed my mom in a fit of jealousy. When he said that I would not see him again, he meant that he had planned on killing himself shortly after dropping me off. He did not succeed and police managed to get him into a mental ward. This, to this date, is the scariest thing that I've ever had happen to me. But I keep thinking of my brother all the time. To be seven years old and witness your mom being beaten half dead by your dad. We both suffered extreme mental trauma from this event later down the line, but somehow turned into decent people. I never really told him how grateful I am that he was there, but I think that I really, really should. Despite what my mom went through, she is the most cheerful and sweetest woman I've ever known. It takes real strength to come out of such an abusive marriage and continue to live your life in such a positive way, and also raise her two children all alone. The story was sent anonymously. I served a short stint as a fireman. There was an RTA call one morning, about 30 minutes after I started my shift. This guy got T-boned while driving home after a night of heavy drinking. He got T-boned on the passenger side when he ran a red light and his wife unfortunately died instantly and he pretty much remained unharmed. When we arrived at the scene, he was outside of his car while his wife was still seated in the passenger seat. Her lower body was still in her seat while her upper torso splayed out over the driver's side, looking like she was just reaching over to the driver's side to open the door, just as she's unconscious and non-reactive. There was no blood at all from what we could see from the driver's side. The passenger's door was caved in very badly. The driver was still tipsy and thought nothing of what's happening. He kept asking us to hurry up and extract his wife so they could head back home and he was laughing and fumbling around with the police. When the paramedics realized that there was no pulse with his wife, we tried extracting her from the driver's side and we realized that her lower left body, her left pelvis to her thigh was completely crushed and she was impelled through the left abdomen by a piece of the door. When we told him that his wife was dead, she probably bled out minutes after the impact, you could see the disbelief. Like he was saying, stop kidding me. That slowly started morphing into realization, then ending up in desperation. He was immediately sober and ran over to the driver's side and he tried to pull his wife out. It tore her wound up and, and we had to drag him completely out of there. He then proceeded to the passenger side and tried to pry the cave door open. We left the scene and let the police handle the aftermath. I did see it on the news later that afternoon, though. That story was from Kenny. My great aunt woke up in the middle of the night. She heard her dog making these low growls. She was single at the time and living alone in her ranch-style home. She walked out to her living room to check things out. 
She didn't see or hear anything out of the ordinary, so she decided to make sure that her door and front windows were locked. Door was locked. First window she checked was locked. When she lifted the mini blind on the second window, it was wide open, and a guy in a ski mask was standing there. She said he laughed this evil laugh and said, Party time! Then he started to climb in. She screamed that she had a gun. Her dog started barking his head off. The intruder decided to bolt. My aunt didn't actually have a gun at that point, but she did get one and learned how to use it afterwards. I can't even think about what would have happened to her if she didn't have her dog to warn her. That story was sent to us by Bella. James Bolger, he was just two years old and out with his mom running errands. She let go of his hand to pay the cashier and he wandered away. Two ten-year-old boys spotted him, lured him towards them, took him by the hands and led him away. They took him to a remote location, pushing and kicking at him the whole time. A few people questioned the two kids with the crying toddler, but... They lied, saying that he was their little brother and nobody intervened any further. They took him to a secluded spot and tortured him. I don't want to recount the torture details, it's just too gruesome. They left his body on some railroad tracks, hoping that being run over by a train would make it look like an accident. He was found days later, his body severed in half by a train. The boys were caught and became the youngest convicted murderers in British history. Security footage from the day that they took James shows them watching children, picking out a target. And they were just kids themselves. They were released at the age of 18. One of them is back in jail for possessing child abuse photos on his computer. The most terrifying thing about this for me is that my own son is only two now. And James's murderers were just children too. It was premeditated and intentional and entirely random. Just a momentary lapse in attention and he became the target of two murderous children. Children. To think that children younger than my stepson are capable of such a thing. Jesus Christ. Everything about this case is just horrifying. That story was sent from Sally in Great Britain. The scariest true story that I know is my own. I grew up with a very mentally ill and abusive father. The summer that I turned 16 and my younger brother was 13, my father shot my brother with a shotgun at almost point-blank range in our basement. Thankfully, it missed his heart by two inches, and he is still alive today. I came home that evening to find my stepmother cleaning the blood off of the tile floor, like there was nothing to see. It was the most terrifying and surreal thing that I've ever experienced. One would believe attempted murder would be enough to terminate someone's custody rights. But alas, the police chalked it up to accidental, and my brother and I were too frightened of our father to say otherwise. 
At 18 and 15, respectively, my brother and I packed up and left the state, never to speak to our father again. To this day, little bits of shrapnel still surface on my brother's chest. That story was sent anonymously. Everything to do with Haj Muhammad Masfui. He was a shoemaker who lived in Morocco in the late 19th and early 20th century. He and his accomplice, a 70-year-old woman called Anna, used to drug and kill women who came to their shop. Eventually, one of the victim's parents traced her movements to the shop. And after the remains of 36 mutilated corpses were found nearby, Masfui and Anna were questioned and tortured. Anna didn't survive, but Masfui confessed to murdering them, usually for a tiny amount of money. His initial sentence was crucifixion, a very unusual punishment even then. However, there were many protests from powerful foreign embassies, and Morocco couldn't do much against them. Instead, he was sentenced to beheading, a more common punishment. However, the mood in Marrakech was that this was far too lenient, so they settled on immurement, being walled up alive. A special cell was constructed in the wall of the bazaar, about two by two by six feet. Chains were attached to one wall to ensure that he would be kept standing. Mesfui wasn't told of his fate until the morning of his execution, when he was led, screaming, in chains and slowly bricked up inside. Once the last course had been laid, the crowd would fall silent until he started screaming. Then they would cheer. He screamed nearly constantly for two days. On the third day, he fell silent. A story was sent to us by Morty. You have been listening to Hillbilly Horror Stories Presents Eerie Encounters. If you have an eerie encounter that you would like read on the show, please send it to hillbillyhorrorstories at gmail.com.